Hello, and thank you for listening to Girl Wonder. My name is Joe Rochelle, and I'm just your everyday girl talking about your favorite webtoons. If you find yourself reading webtoons all the time and you are still craving more content, then you are absolutely in the right place. And just in case you didn't know, you can listen to this podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you choose to listen on. The Sopranos, The Godfather, all the countless anime series with a main character in the Yakuza. Maybe you've never watched any of these, but if you're listening to this podcast episode, chances are you are currently reading Midnight Poppyland by Lily Desk, which is all about a guy in the mafia. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Before we start, I have to encourage you to support Lily Dusk on Patreon. The link to do that is patreon.com slash lilydusk, which you can find in the description box of this podcast episode. There is exclusive content, NSFW artwork, and one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things is the Fast Pass preview that Lily posts before new episodes go out. So please check it out and support her. During this episode, as we recap and dive deep into episodes 46 to 49 of Midnight Poppyland, you will hear the voices of three of my patrons, Joanne, Patty, and Darla, as they share their reactions to the kisses that took place in Tora's apartment and the reveal of Candy and Benjamin in episode 49. So stay tuned and listen for their voices. They have some really great reactions and opinions here. If you would like to join my Patreon, the link to do that is patreon.com slash girlwonder, and you can find the link in the description box. Last, but certainly not least, our top cities that have listened to this podcast the most in the last seven days are Rockwall, Miami, Pleasant Hill, Columbus, Stone Mountain, Hollywood, and Houston. Thank you guys so much for listening. All right, let's get into it. Back on September 25th, I did a poll on Instagram in my Insta stories, and I asked people, would you actually date someone in the mafia? 42% of you said yes. You heard that correctly. 42% of you said that you would actually date someone in the mafia, and 58% of you said no. Now, I will say that out of the 42%, some people DM'd me saying, if it was Torah, then yes, but if it's just a person or like someone in the mafia, then no. So, I mean, I'm not sure if everyone in the 42 meant Torah, but it really seems like 42% of y'all would risk it all for love, huh? And guess what? I'm pretty certain that Poppy falls right into that 42%. She would find herself right there. Because if you were to ask Poppy from Midnight Poppy Land if she would date someone in the mafia, I think her answer is yes. Maybe if she would say a lot of things, you know, to justify it or like depends on the person or depends on this. But at the end of the day, her answer is probably yes, right? So let's figure out why. I want to talk about why we like stories about characters involved in organized crime. I want to talk about why Poppy would stay with Tora, visit his apartment, and make out with the man she is 99.9% sure has ties to the mafia. Why is it worth the risk for her? And why does it give us, the audience, such a thrill 
Let's dig into that. Why are we into gangsters? And why do we enjoy stories about people in the mafia? I've done some research about this, and I think it'll help us get further into the mindsets of Torah and Poppy and why we enjoy Midnight Poppyland so much. I read an article in The New Yorker written by Maria Konnikova, and the article is called Why Do We Admire Mobsters? Because, hey, a lot of us admire Torah. Scratch that. A lot of us drool over Torah. A lot of us fawn over Torah. A lot of us freaking adore Torah, even though he's a part of, you know, organized crime. Even though he's in an illegal syndicate, we kind of brush that aside. Or, you know, we take it all in, but still want him. (laughs) And I think Poppy's the same way. So why is that possible? Here is what I found in that New Yorker article. So reason number one is their own set of morals. Here's a quote from the article. Books like The Godfather communicated the idea that mobsters were men who cared about the happiness of their communities and who lived by their own codes of honor and conduct. So basically the article is saying that at the end of the day, if the mafia man has his own morals and lives up to them, then we don't judge them as harshly. Keep this in mind because I'm going to circle back to this point later as we break down the episodes. So reason number two for why we love mafia stories and why Poppy might be able to be in a mafia relationship willingly, reason number two is we are far away from it. Here's the article's point. By and large, people are under the impression that if they don't have any dealings with stuff the mob deals with, no drugs, no borrowing money, no illegal gaming, then they have nothing to fear from organized crime because the violence seems directed at their own communities, not anyone else's. It's easy to romanticize. I think that's what's happening. For us, we can be far away from it so we can romanticize about it. I wouldn't say for all of us though because there were some people who responded to my Insta story post saying that they know some real people in the mafia and it's like not cool at all. <laughs> and don't date anyone in the mafia, <laughs> right? So there's that aspect, but see like they're not they're not far from it. So reason number 1 is the own set of morals. Do they have a moral code? Do they have conduct that they live by? Do they hold themselves to a standard? And then the second one is that if you're far away enough from it, like has Poppy really seen the borrowing of money? Has she seen illegal gaming? Has she seen drugs being transferred? Has she seen death? Has she seen blood? She's pretty far from it. So can she have a romantic relationship with Torah in her head and like physically act that out? Probably as long as she stays far away from the mafia life. But of course we know that eventually things will have to come to a head. Torah has been worried about that for a long time and it feels like it's going to happen. Here's one last quote from the article that talks about something called psychological distance, a term coined by the New York University psychologist Yaakov Trope. As painful events recede into the past, our perceptions soften. When we physically remove ourselves from emotionally disturbing situations, our emotions cool. Once attained, psychological distance allows us to romanticize and feel nostalgia for almost anything. It provides a filter, eliminating some details and emphasizing others. We speak of the good old days, hardly ever of the bad. It's easy to glamorize warfare when there is no draft. 
or to idealize anyone whose lifestyle seems risky and edgy without putting you personally at risk. So that's spies, secret agents, rebels without a cause. As long as there isn't an easy to recall actual reminder that brings us down out of the clouds of romanticism, we can glamorize at will. So that just really like really gets to the point of reason number two being far away from it. And when I read this, I mean, of course, I think about myself. My favorite show when I was like 13, maybe a little older, was Alias by J.J. Abrams. Do you remember the show he created with Sydney Bristow played by Jennifer Garner? She was a spy in the very first episode. This isn't a real spoiler because it's just in the first episode. It launches the series she gets proposed to and her fiance gets murdered within like the first half of the very first episode. Violence is such a big part of her life, but because I'm not a spy, so that makes me not really worried about it. Does that make sense? So even if Sydney Bristow is a real character and I was her roommate and she told me she was a spy slash double agent, I would think as long as I kept to myself and stayed out of her life, maybe I wouldn't be affected. Maybe I would move out and not be her roommate because maybe people are coming to kill her and I don't want to be in the house when that happens. But do you know what I'm saying? Where Poppy can be in Torah's space. Poppy can be around Torah knowing full well that this man is in the mafia and still not be worried because it hasn't been physically close to her. She has that psychological distance. So I have done some research to frame everything we're talking about today to reason with why Poppy is able to do the things she's able to do and why we enjoy the story about organized crime. It's a romance, but it's set in the world of organized crime. So keeping all of that in mind, I want to move forward and talk about episodes 46 to 49. Here's a quick summary of episode 46. Tora awakens from a dream about his traumatic past and finds Poppy knocking at his apartment door. He invites her in and she makes him some food. Then, Tora apologizes for his harsh behavior from the night before. The episode ends with Poppy tearing up from his apology. So there are a couple of things I want to point out that stood out to me in this episode before we really dig in. And the first thing is how short Poppy is. I mean, we knew she was short. She's shorter than Tora. But when he went to go answer the door, did you notice how he looked through that digital door viewer and only saw the top of her little head? I just, I laughed. I think I laughed out loud at that moment because I love their height distance and this was just a way to keep the webtoon grounded and it felt really realistic that she's not going to show up in that little peephole. You're not going to be able to see her. (laughs) So he was like, who is at my door? He could not recognize her from the top of her head. And then the other moment, there are a lot of moments, but this one really stood out, is when Poppy finally got into his apartment, looked around his place, was thinking, you know, her regular thoughts, and then saw the man for real. I mean, really saw him in his tank top and his joggers, as he likes to call his outfit. And she could barely look away, and her face got really red, and she thought to herself, he's not a piece of meat. She had to chastise herself. Poppy is thirsty. She's a thirsty girl. (laughs) So it really made me laugh. Now, remember what I just talked to you about? Those two reasons as to why Poppy might stay and as to why we are loving the organized crime story? Well, 
here's something that I think I could add to it as like a third thing. And it's something particular to Lily Dusk and her depiction of mafia life. So whenever there's danger emanating from Torah in Midnight Poppy Land, whenever there's danger that comes from Torah because we know deep down he's dangerous and he can be violent. There's also something to counteract it, something admirable from Torah as well. And that happens in this episode. When Torah goes to answer the door and he's not expecting anyone, right? He didn't know that Poppy was going to come over. So his instinct is to reach for a weapon. You saw that, right? It was pretty clear because there was a little bit of a flashback where it shows that Quincy, he was polishing like a very big gun, a rifle, I think. And he hid whatever weapons that Tora keeps near the door. Also, I thought it was weird. Like he has lockers in his apartment. He just has lockers. It's such like a sterile apartment. It's dark. It's drab. Lily's trying to show us it's not as warm and welcoming as Poppy's apartment, which we've seen a lot of by now. And his is just like cold. It's not really a place where someone lives. It's not a place where someone thrives. I mean, you you wouldn't feel creative in that space. You wouldn't want to do any work. And I don't think he works from his apartment. I think he, it's his place to rest. But would you get good rest there? If you were to live in Torah's place where it's like dark and gray and uncomfortable with really high windows, but like you can't see out of them. I don't know. It just made me sad. And then with some two lockers in your apartment, would you would you enjoy that? I wouldn't. But yes, Torah reached for his weapon and realized that Quincy had done away with it. So would you guys be able to date a man who has a large rifle next to his door and reaches for it every time there's an unexpected visitor? Maybe some of you are already dating that man. Maybe that is your partner that I am describing. Maybe you're dating that person, I should say. It's tough because that means you live a life of expecting crime. You live a life where you expect bad things to happen So it's tough because Poppy is not from that world. So could Poppy date someone like that? I mean, she's already on that path, but she doesn't know the details yet. She doesn't know what mafia life truly entails. So it's here that we have reason number two. It's like two things are going on at once. Poppy is looking at his apartment for the first time and coming up with her own conclusions about that. And Tora is looking behind the door trying to find his weapon and wondering what happened to it. And remember, reason number two is that there's distance. You're kept away from the life. Quincy effectively did that for us, but Tora would never have shown her his weapons when she walked in, right? Poppy is kept far away from the actual violence of Tora's life, at least so far. So think about it. Would Poppy have really entered Tora's apartment alone If she saw a rifle leaning against the door, would she have decided to stay? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think the answer, she knows Tora pretty well, but if she saw physical weapons littered throughout his house, I don't think she's staying. She's pretty smart. She's the type of woman to pull out her taser to protect herself. I think she would have left. I don't know if she would have made that dinner and taken care of him and tried to nurse him back to health if there were weapons present in his space. So good for Quincy that he, he he knew that in advance. You could tell that about Poppy from, from the get-go, and he removed those things for Tora. 
And then the second thing that stood out to me, remember how I said, if Lily's going to show us that there's danger when it comes to Torah, then you're also going to be counteracted with something really admirable about Torah. And here it is in episode 46, an excellent apology. He says, one, sorry for yelling. Two, sorry for making you feel like you weren't wanted. Three, sorry for ordering you around. Four, sorry that you had to hear that crap from Quincy, which we talked about in the last podcast episode. That is a full apology. Some people are terrible at apologies. Torah is not one of those people. Yeah, some people make it feel like it's your fault, and we'll talk about it because I feel like Jewelry has his share of apologies that Poppy thinks about, and they were crap. I'm sorry, but isn't a sorry. It's not a real apology. But Torah didn't have any excuses for his behavior. He was just sorry. He didn't want to hurt her. I fully accepted this apology on Poppy's behalf. Even though she was already accepting it, I also accept it because it was so great. She didn't even have to ask for it. Tora was sitting there watching her silently after she made him a meal, and he knew that it was the right time to apologize. It was, it was great. And it makes me think of reason number one, morals, a code of conduct. Do you think this fits in there where Tora... It's a part of who he is to apologize if he wrongs someone, if he makes a mistake, if he hurts your feelings, if he was angry in the moment. When he's calmed down, he's going to apologize to you and mean it. He's going to apologize to you and be sincere. And maybe it's not the general you. Maybe this only applies to Poppy. But I don't know. Thinking back to his relationship with Giyu and how Giyu cried and said Tora was really there for him, as was Quincy. It just feels like this is a part of his moral code. So let's talk about Torah's moral code for a quick second here. What would you say that is? What will he not do? I think about death and murder when it comes to how dangerous his life is and just mafia life in general. And I feel like Torah, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I've read this webtoon back and forth, but still I may have missed something. But I feel like Torah, it's a part of his code not to kill people. He specifically used a sniper rifle in an expert way to avoid killing people. And it made Vincent Bulcherman really mad at first. And then he kind of calmed down and said, you know what? That was the right choice. So maybe not killing people and maybe admitting when you're wrong and trying to live more honestly. He didn't like that Quincy lied to cover for him when he said, I'm in the mafia. We talked about that. Remember, what does it mean that Torah's just coming out right and saying it? I'm in the mafia. Well, it means that he wants to be honest with this person, at least. If Poppy's going to be in his life, he would like for her not to be lied to every day. It used to bother him a lot. So those are two morals I can pull right out of my hat here that Torah subscribes to. He is... I'd also say that he's loyal too. His friends are very important to him, the people that he depends upon. Because when Goliath betrayed him, it messed up that loyalty between the two of them. I feel like they used to carry on as brothers, but Goliath left him in a way. But even after that, when Goliath is calling for help, Torah comes running because he's loyal. So these are his morals. Loyalty, honesty, not killing anybody, apologizing when wrong. 
four things that I can use to sum up Torah and his personality and his code of conduct. Those are great morals, by the way. (laughs) So that's why we're able to lean into him and enjoy him. I think if this was a mafia story where Torah was dishonest and gaslit you when he was wrong in the first place and betrayed all his friends like Quincy, Giyu, and any of the men that follow him in the clan. If he did those things, I don't know if we would be rooting for him. I don't think 42% of y'all would say that you would be willing to date someone in the mafia if Torah carried himself like that. But because his morals and code is there, like the New Yorker article said, I'm really starting to feel like that's why Poppy likes him and that's why we love this story so much. Someone with the username deleted commented on this episode of the webtoon and said, I can't believe nobody's saying when Poppy says, I guess that's what it's like for people in the mafia. She still wants to be around him despite the fact he's in the mafia, OMG. And then there's like a million exclamation points. My heart, you guys, she's not judging him. Instead, she wants to be sure he's okay and look out for him. Poppy is my girl. I agree with that comment. Here's the exact moment in this episode. Earlier this afternoon, Quincy told Poppy not to worry if she found Tora sleeping in some weird position. He feels safer or more comfortable sleeping on lower ground and away from open windows. I mean, doesn't that sound like somebody who's afraid of being attacked in their sleep? Afraid of someone shooting them in their sleep? It's pretty sad. It's pretty grim when you think about it. So when Poppy remembers this as she's looking at Tora's apartment, she thinks to herself, maybe that's what life is like for people in the mafia. This is a huge, significant moment. I like that this commenter brought it up because sound the alarms, Poppy knows for sure. She's always suspected, but now we're getting ultimate confirmation that she knows without a shadow of a doubt that Tora is in the mafia. She knows and yet she still came to his apartment by herself. And that speaks volumes. Here is a quick summary of episode 47. Poppy and Tora get real close in the kitchen as they have a deep heart-to-heart. Tora gives Poppy the space to really unleash her anger and explain in detail why she was upset with him. Poppy stops Tora from lighting the cigarette while he's sick, and he explains his reward system to her, and then they make out, until Tora feels too sick to make out anymore. The episode ends with Tora beckoning Poppy to come into his bedroom. He needs a pillow. So here's something that stood out to me in this episode. It's when Poppy says, I just felt hurt for so many reasons on so many levels and I don't know where to begin. Tora's response to that was just pick something and start there. Anything. Hello, maturity. Your name is Tora. It's so clear that he comes from a place of understanding. While he's listening to Poppy talk about that, feeling hurt for so many reasons on so many levels, not even knowing where to begin when it comes to her hurt, right? While she's saying all of that, Tora can hear his childlike self, or at least remember when he used to yell, I'm not scared and I'm not crying, back when he was in that little cage. It's so sad, but it's also what's helping him connect with Poppy in this moment. 
he knows very specifically what it's like to stuff down or try to repress painful feelings, which is what Poppy is trying to do in this conversation. Now, Tora's painful feelings are like rooted in childhood trauma. And Poppy's, it feels like something that she's gotten used to over the course of her life and has really been exacerbated by jewelry, right? So this leads Tora to asking this monumental question, who did this to you? Sarah Dalian Hart commented on this episode of the webtoon and said, the emotion in Tora's face after he asks who did this to you is so wonderfully done. That is the look of a man who has experienced pain and is compassionate enough to recognize it in others. I honestly couldn't say it better myself. That's exactly how I felt. And just hearing him kind of have like an audio flashback to him yelling how he wasn't scared, that kind of stuff, it comes up for him a lot. But he's able to use that, channel that memory into helping Poppy right now, which is very powerful. Another fun moment that stood out to me, there were so many. There were so many in this episode. This is really what one of the things that Lily does best. It was a while back when Josh was on the podcast and he talked about how Lily just has a superpower when it comes to these scenes between Tora and Poppy, how it's so flirty and so fun and the chemistry is real and the dialogue is very believable that these two people exist. It feels so real. And that is episode 47 in a nutshell. Like Poppy is venting and she goes a little overboard in her skorts, mind you, because Lily wanted to make sure we knew that was not a skirt where she wrapped her legs around Tora and was on him like that. That is a skort, which I have not worn since high school. <laughs> I wore a very tragic jean skort to high school for a long time, and I thought I was the coolest. But anyway, <laughs> Poppy went really overboard because she was like biting him and yelling, and Tora's like, I'm sick though. I'm, you came here because I'm sick. <laughs> it was really funny. So now the moment I've been waiting to talk to you about is that new reward system. That new reward system that Tora and Poppy came up with, which is making out. It's kissing. <laughs> so I asked my patrons, what was your reaction to the kiss? A very simple question. Here's what Joanne had to say. I really enjoyed Tora and Poppy's makeout session in episode 47. Because you finally had a moment between the both of them where he wanted to initiate kissing her. Because the last time that they did kiss was in episode 35. And all he wanted was for her to kiss him on his cheek. But she decided to plant one on him and then let him go. This time around, it was slow and romantic. And you could tell that he would have kept on going if he was not sick at all. And there probably would have been, you know, maybe some slight groping, who knows, cuddling in the process as well. So I'm hoping more of that will happen in a future episode. This was Tora's time. He, he claimed his time. <laughs> he wanted to initiate, like Joanne said. He really did. And that does make me wonder, what would have happened if he wasn't sick at all? So, okay, if he wasn't sick at all he wouldn't be there with Poppy because she would never have come to his apartment with a thermometer and some food to make him. But but let's say she still did and they were spending time alone. I feel like I feel like they would have kissed a lot longer 
but I don't think they would have gone all the way. It's too soon for that. Poppy would have shut it down at some point. Because later, when he asks her if she'd like to go to the beach, she said that she would email him. So I feel like she's not ready. <laughs> this is not her time yet. But it is Tora's time to initiate, which is really exciting. Patty also talks about Tora initiating and also some patterns that are showing up whenever they kiss. Here's Patty's reaction. So what did I think about uh, Tora and Poppy's makeout session? Um, <laughs> you mean other than complete uh, brain melting lust? <laughs> um, honestly, though, like I really loved that it came after a very intimate and difficult conversation between the two of them. Um, it actually kind of opened my eyes to a pattern that I've seen with Poppy and Tora um, with their heart to hearts and, you know, they're talking about something very difficult for both of them. And then we actually get intimate physical contact. Um, if we go back to the first kiss scene in, on, uh, Poppy's rooftop, they're talking about the photo, which of course is really uncomfortable. They're talking a little bit about Tora's involvement in his, organization, although it's pretty minor. And they also kind of bring up Poppy's dad, which I thought was um, pretty intimate for how um, short of a time that they've known each other. Um, and then, of course, we get the kiss between the two of them. Um, and then fast forward to the episodes with Regina's Peak, um, they're talking about you know, Tora's intimate memories of the space and like what he and his buddies used to do there. Um, his difficulty expressing emotions, which I thought was actually kind of cool to see him talk about. Um, and then later on in later episodes, we see um, Poppy and Tora talking about her emotionally abusive ex-boyfriend. Um, those are pretty heavy topics. And then of course, you know, at the end of that exchange, as they're saying goodbye, they share a hug. And then, you know, of course, fast forward to this kiss, um, they had a talk about the argument and how Poppy felt about it, you know, how he had been treating her and how she felt about that. So I think, you know, she, she's not a gal who likes to be ignored. And I think it's important that they talked about it. And of course, they share this really long, intimate kiss. And I think it's also important that Tora initiated this kiss. Um, you know, to me, it confirms uh, to Poppy that he has genuine feelings for her and he's pretty much given up trying to ignore them. Another kind of pattern that I've noticed is that these physical exchanges also occur in um, intimate spaces of theirs. So Poppy's rooftop, um, they were, you know, at her apartment, basically. Um, Regina's Peak was a very uh, personal space for Tora. And then, of course, you know, the makeout session that happens in his apartment, in his kitchen, which looks like it's never been used after she makes him a meal. So again, we're seeing this pattern of them sharing some emotional intimacy before the, the physical contact happens, which I think, you know, that's normal, that's natural. And, you know, I love the development of that. That's an excellent point that they are usually intimate emotionally first before they get intimate physically. So before a kiss, they go really deep about something where they're sharing I remember that rooftop feeling like Tora is really trying to expose his heart or as much as he can tell her at this time before they kissed. And then again, Regina's peak was a very intimate time. He asked for a kiss, didn't quite get one, <laughs> but it was still so sweet that he brought her somewhere that he knew well and that he has memories in that place. And now in his apartment, mm, 
it's it's lovely. Yes. And also so funny about the brain melting lust <laughs> that's going on between Tor and Poppy here that we're all feeling. It's coming through the webtoon. We can feel it tangibly. And now here is Darla's reaction. Oh my god, their makeout session was super sexy. I was not expecting Poppy to be like, I already got my flu shot. Poppy wanted it, and I'm here for it. I mean, I'd risk getting sick if it meant Tora's tongue down my throat. I mean, did they use tongue? Who knows? But in my head, I'll believe it. I feel like it's a mystery. Well, well only Lily knows. Lily, Tora, Poppy, the three people who know how deep that kiss went. <laughs> but I, yeah, the flu shot. Oh my goodness. Poppy, you are risking it all. Is it because we're in coronavirus? I mean, Poppy and Tora are not in that reality, but we are. So I'm thinking like, ooh, germs. And yet that didn't stop me from enjoying that kiss either. It was great. So I think I'm going to put it out on Instagram tomorrow i'm going to ask in my insta stories it's girl wonder podcast by the way if you're looking for it but i need to ask now would you kiss torah if he had the flu a simple yes no question keep your eyes out for it it'll be up for 24 hours on my insta stories and and i want to see what you guys say i wonder if it's going to be higher than the 42 percent who said yes they would date someone in the mafia would you kiss torah if he had the flu? Poppy's answer is yes. So it'd be great if you could respond with your personal answer. So still speaking about the new reward system, let's talk about the old reward system for a second, because Poppy's like, what, what is it about cigarettes for you? And Taurus says it's the one predictable outcome in his life when his world is falling to pieces. And that made me sad, but it also made me wonder, remember back to our reasons why Poppy would stay with someone in the mafia and reasons why we want to read content about someone in the mafia? The first reason was all about having your own set of morals, having your own moral code. And I think this falls into that slightly for Torah, that this is his thing. This is his reward system. And he does it very transactionally and he keeps up with it and when he feels stressed out he reminds himself that he can have this one reward because poppy does get it even though she's like low-key like this is not good for you she does understand the concept behind it and why torah has chosen this but isn't it sad if you just think about it for a second isn't it sad that the only stability the only predictable outcome in Tora's entire life comes from that cigarette box. I'm trying to think, is anything else in Tora's life a guarantee where it's a predictable outcome? And I don't think you get luxuries like that when you're in the mafia. Even Quincy, who feels like someone who should be a guarantee, he's basically like Tora's family. And yet, I don't think Quincy is a guarantee in his life. And I don't think Quincy is a predictable outcome in his life, something that will never change. He just doesn't have that luxury. And that makes me so sad. So when Poppy suggests bubblegum, as much as I like kisses, I think that could be a better solution if she wants him to be healthier, right? Because her kisses, I don't think they're a guarantee in Tora's life, at least not now. Just 
lean into it with me for a moment here. Is Poppy and her kisses, her wanting to kiss Tora every time he's stressed, is that something that is a predictable outcome? Will always be there? Will always be the same? I don't know if we can promise that. I don't know if she can promise that to Tora as much as I want it to be, as much as I want to lean into that 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years that Tora is imagining with her because that's how long he can rely on the predictable outcome of cigarettes. He wants to apply that to Poppy's kisses. It's so romantic and so lovely. But now that I'm thinking about it, what if Poppy sees you smash someone's head in? What if Poppy sees you be violent like you have been, Tora, because you're required to be? Then what is she going to do? Are her kisses going to be there? I mean, she's a living human being. So I understand why his reward system isn't based on a person and how they respond to him. Like I said, Quincy may not always be there, even though Quincy may always want to be there. Poppy's kisses may not always be there, even though Poppy may always want them to be. That's something sad to think about, but I think it's true. His reward system has to be something that's inanimate, not a real living human being. Because in the life that he lives, and even in regular life, we nothing's a guarantee. We don't know what might happen tomorrow, especially in 2020. We can all agree we don't know what's going to come next. So now I'm kind of hoping that they do do more kisses, but also he leans into bubblegum. <laughs> I want both. And on the topic of Tora basically saying that they'll be together for years, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, it made me wonder, does a man in the mafia have a future? I think Poppy gives him hope. It makes him think of the future, which must be so terrifying and so exhilarating for Tora at the same time. Here is a quick summary of episode 48. Tora uses Poppy's lap as a pillow and has a dream about his younger self encountering Poppy on the beach. Dream Poppy found seashells and leaves them for young Tora as the tide threatens to wash them away. Martin finds young Tora and warns him that if he isn't broken yet, he will be soon. Tora wakes up and asks Poppy if she wants to go to the beach someday. Poppy leaves his apartment thinking about all of the times jewelry gaslit her. Now she's feeling emotionally validated by Tora. The episode ends with Benjamin trying to pawn Poppy's hair clip. So here's something that stood out to me. It's when Poppy looks down at Tora laying in her lap. What a precious scene, by the way. She looks down and sees that strawberry hair tie that she gave him and she thinks about how Quincy must have put the hair tie in Tora's head, and she laughs about it to herself. It seems to me like she will not let herself believe that Tora is actually really into her. This was a moment where it was like she does not know how this man loves that freaking hair tie. He takes pictures of that hair tie and sends it to his friends with no caption, no comment. He just sends it. He is so proud of this hair tie. He loves it. It symbolizes a lot to him and it just, it's something close to his heart and Poppy, her brain doesn't even go there. That really stood out to me. This guy likes you a lot, Poppy. You just have to believe. You just have to trust that this is real and that his feelings for you are real. 
So we learn from the dream that Torah has that he was chosen out of a lot of other kids, probably kids who weren't well off, and that he also ran away from his adoption center because the people weren't treating him right there either. So when has Torah ever had stability in his life, true stability? I'm not talking about anything that Mr. Bolcheman could give him because that comes with a threat. That comes from you being his dog, his weapon. So if Torah wasn't treated right at the adoption center, did he ever have a good life? Was he ever loved truly for who he is, you know, by parents? It just makes me so sad. I was really sad. And I would agree with people who say not everything in this dream is to be taken literally. There's quite a lot of symbolism here. And if you stay tuned and keep your eyes peeled on my YouTube channel, in a short while, I'll be putting out a video all about symbolism in Midnight Poppyland. I think it's going to be an ongoing series because there are a lot of things that are symbolized. And my patrons have already seen it, but I will be releasing that sometime very soon. So please, please, please stay tuned for that. Sefi Boo commented on this episode of the webtoon and said, Poppy even appearing in Tora's dream just shows how very important she is to him already. I truly believe that Poppy will be the one delivering Tora from this nightmare he's been forcefully living since he was a child. She's like this ray of sunlight in his life, just like her bright yellow dress might symbolize. The man grabbing adult and baby Tora clearly shows that even as an adult, he's still under the hands of the Balchaman organization. He can't free himself, a contrast to his intimidating physique. That's some beautiful analysis right there that I I came across in the webtoon comments from Sefi Boo. Excellent. And I totally agree that Poppy appearing in Tora's dream shows how important she is to him. I also agree that that yellow dress, I think Lily chose that color on purpose, and it does represent light, warmth, and goodness, because Tora has this man trying to find him. He's scared. He's vulnerable. He's hungry. And so why wouldn't he want the light? Why wouldn't he want the warmth? It's sad, but beautiful. Bado Men's Dahlia commented and said, as someone with trauma, I want you guys to know that him wanting to go to the site of a traumatic incident with someone he loves and cares for means he really loves and cares for her. He wants to wash away the bad memories with memories of someone special. Maybe it's not that deep, but I've done this with my close friends so that when I go to a place that something traumatizing happened, I can look at that place with fond memories rather than scary ones. This episode touches my heart very much. Also beautifully said that that is a traumatic experience. Torah looking at that house and Torah being hunted down by that man and remembering the times he tried to escape but couldn't, that's traumatic. But in his mind, in his sleep, he's thinking of Poppy in this moment where the trauma took place. That's super significant. And remember at the top of the episode when I was reading that New Yorker article and I talked about psychological distance? I feel that Torah doesn't have that at all when it comes to his past trauma. He doesn't have distance. It's extremely close. It's extremely present. It's always hovering over him. He can hear his little boy self saying things at times. There is no distance between him and that dirty cage he was kept in as a child. And as much as that breaks my heart, it feels like the only distance he can get from it is imagining Poppy in those memories. It's like 
relief from the haunting of those traumatic experiences. It's relief. Poppy is relief. Here's a comment from I am the Sphinx Fisk 2010. So during the dinner with Quincy, Tora had a T-Rex sweater on, and in this chapter, little Tora has a dinosaur on his shirt again. Happy to see Tora's affinity for dinosaur shirts transcended into adulthood. That's freaking adorable. I talk a lot about dinosaurs in the YouTube video that I'm going to release publicly very soon because it does seem like dinosaurs are something that Tora likes on his shirts, but it might go deeper than that. So please stay tuned for that. And here's the last comment. I want to share about this episode. It's from Rix and it says, I truly feel that someone falling asleep in your presence is one of the highest compliments. Hear me out. I know generally that equates to they find you boring, but I think in a close setting like this, it means the person feels safe and comfortable around you so much that they slip unconsciously into their most vulnerable state. All defenses are down, and that's real trust. They obviously trust you to be so unguarded right then, like Tora felt with Poppy here. 100% agree. I 100% agree with that. All these comments touch on a little different part of why this moment is so special between Tora and Poppy. It just feels really, really special. Before we move on to the last episode I want to talk to you about today, I want to mention something about the seashells and the beach, right? Poppy shows up on that beach in her yellow dress in Tora's dream when he's in a very scared state, feeling helpless, feeling lost, feeling hungry, and he's dirty, and he's just not in a good place. Poppy shows up with an open palm and seashells in her palm that Tora is like, oh, I want some, you know, which is very cute, by the way, baby Tora wanting those seashells. But I wanted to look deeper into the symbolism of that. So I found an article called The Symbolic Seashell by Krista Lang Lowe. Here is what it said. Seashells are physical triggers of rich sensory memories. Ashley Dumas, an archaeologist with the University of West Alabama, believes the reason so many cultures use shells in burial rituals is that shells are liminal. They come from the seashore, which is neither fully land nor fully sea. That ties in with a lot of culture's thoughts about what death is, a state where you're neither fully gone nor fully of the world. Just as a shell persists after the creature it housed decomposes, so too might a person's soul or spirit live on, an eternal thing more beautiful than the body it left behind. So that puts my brain in so many directions right now, because if seashells sometimes can be equated with death, like a creature had to die and move on for the shell to live on in its beauty and for you to collect it, right? A part of me wonders if this isn't really Poppy in his dream, but like a mother he never knew, or maybe a mother he did know for a little bit of time when he was a very little baby, and then something happened and he was put into the adoption center. Or it could mean that Poppy, with her hand full of seashells, is trying to offer Tora death. Stay with me for a second. Not actual death like Tora is going to die, but more like death to his mafia life. Death to the part of himself that is scared all the time. Death to his circumstances with the Balchaman organization. Is that a stretch or do you feel that at all? Where she's like, here are the seashells and she hands them to him and he wants them and he doesn't want the tide to wash them away and they're so important to him. What if she's offering him a chance to live on, but that means 
the mafia part of him has to die. The mafia connections might have to die. Things have to die for them to change in his life. We can interpret it any way we want, but I'm kind of leaning into that now that I've looked into the symbolism of seashells. I also looked at the specific shells in Poppy's hand. I saw an abalone. I don't know if it's pronounced abalone. Abalone? It was a shell that looks kind of like a shield. And I looked it up and it said that this shell kind of symbolizes protective healing qualities. It brings safety from harm, emotional balance. I mean, when you think about a shell in general, don't you think about like protection? Turtles are very protected in their shells. And when they come out of their shells, they are more vulnerable. Come out of your shell. Be open with us. Be vulnerable. Well, Poppy's offering him shells like, I want you to be safe. I want you to be protected. So that's an interpretation of it as well. All of this works for me so far, by the way. And then I also saw a scallop shell in Poppy's hand, which is a symbol of light. Literally in Christianity, the scallop shell is a thing and it represents salvation and it's also associated with baptism. So we've got light, we've got shield, and we've got like die to your old life and be Born again, kind of, right? <laughs> I stopped for a second, but I'm like, am I going too far or have I not gone far enough? No matter what, we are in a place where there's the ocean, there's the tide coming in. We can hear the roar of the water and feel the salt spray on our face. And Torah is in this place. Yes, it's a place of trauma, but it's also a place of light because of Poppy now. There's something there about like cleansing, right? That water cleanses and cleans him and the shells really fall into that interpretation. So I wouldn't be surprised if Poppy being in Tora's life saved him, gave him a fresh start and helped him to move on past the trauma and past the pain. quick summary of episode 49. Benjamin can only get 50 bucks for Poppy's hair clip. He hears two guys talking about candy and Benjamin gets very defensive, declaring that when he gets enough money, he'll take her away from Club Miracle. Candy shows up and it is revealed that she's Benjamin's mother, not his sister. They argue about her job until Candy slaps him across the face with tears in her eyes. Benjamin sees Poppy and realizes she's not as rich as he thought she was. At Goldfish Publishing, Quincy shows up with his bodyguard, Tora. Tora and Poppy immediately get down to flirting in the office. So I had to ask my patrons, were you shocked at the reveal that Candy is not Benjamin's sister, but Benjamin's mother all this time? It definitely, in my brain, adjusted how old Candy must be. She's older than Tora, for sure. Before, I thought they were around the same age. Candy, Tora, Poppy. But now, even if she had Benjamin Young, it seems pretty likely that she's older than Tora, who we know she has a thing for. Here's Darla's reaction to that reveal. 
I was a little shocked that Candy is Benjamin's mom. As far as theories go, there's got to be a storyline about him selling that hairpin, and that's going to lead to connections of Poppy's mom. Will there be mob connections? Possibly. She does seem like a don't F with me type woman from her picture, and I'm just here for all the drama when Candy finds out that Tora is seeing Poppy. Yes, I totally forgot that I wanted to see that, if that makes sense. At some point in the series, I was like, wait till Candy finds out that Tora does not want her. He wants Poppy. But now it feels like it's a thing because she's connected to Poppy because her son has Poppy's hairpin. That might happen. And like Darla, I am here for the drama because Candy definitely thinks that Tora is gay. So imagine what her surprise will be when she finds out that he is really, really, really into Poppy. And yeah, I'm curious to find out more about this hairpin. Poppy said it's not, it wasn't originally meant to be a hairpin. She turned it into one. And then I just want to see the connections. Like Darla was wondering, I'm very curious about Poppy's mother. Is there some mafia stuff going on? I agree that her face is like, yeah, you will not be messing with me at all. That is the vibe that I get from Poppy's mom. So we'll just have to wait and see about that one. Here is Patty's reaction to the Benjamin Candy relationship reveal that they're actually son and mother instead of sister and brother and some theories about what might go on with them in the webtoon. As for Candy, um, honestly, I was shocked. I honestly didn't put too much into her character and I kind of wrote her off in a lot of ways. Um, but I have to remember, and I keep learning this the hard way, that uh, Lily has a way of flipping the script and having us think more critically about even her side characters. I still kind of wonder about her involvement with Tora. Um, I don't think they've had a relationship of any kind. I think it's been transactional, like maybe they're sharing information back and forth uh, with law enforcement. Uh, because, I mean, given her line of work at a clan strip club, she's bound to hear valuable information. Um, you know, <laughs> those guys like to party hard because they work hard. Um, and so they're probably drunk when they're talking to her. Um, and she seems like the kind of gal who would take advantage of that information. I mean, it's a pretty dog eat dog world that she lives in. And she has to do that for her and her son's survival. As for her relationship with uh, Benjamin... It, I think it's too soon to really tell. We're just getting a tiny little glimpse of it, but it seems like they have more of like a friend relationship than a parent-child relationship. But I'm interested to see where this goes. Me too. And I never thought about Tora and Candy possibly working together to bring down the clan because as you'll hear in Joanne's voice message, she talks about the debt that candy owes right the whole like let's raise the money to get her out of club miracle she owes a debt she's paying it off i wonder if that possibly motivates her to work against the clan and to yeah report back to law enforcement i wonder that's very very interesting to me and yeah benjamin and candy don't seem to have a typical parent-child relationship they call each other dumbass. <laughs> I don't think Benji says it out loud or Benjamin. I don't think he says it out loud. He thinks it to himself, but she definitely called him one and slapped him and felt really hurt by what he was saying, which isn't typical. It seems like she's like hard knocks, tough, like she grew up tough and had to be tough and put some of that toughness out on her kid who she provides for, but it doesn't seem like a typical parent-child relationship at all. 
Here is what Joanne thinks. Yes, I was surprised because I didn't see that at all or even thought about that. I'd like to know why she owes the money. What did she lose that she owes this huge debt? And whatever it is, Benjamin wants to help. And he wants his mom to not continue doing what she's doing anymore, even though it doesn't seem like it's bothering her because she was willing to give him money. So, you know, I don't get why he's into stealing to begin with. What is it that she did that requires this huge debt? You know, I'm, I'm thinking like, you destroyed something, you stole something, you lost something. I don't know. I'm super curious about that as well. And look at that, Lily. You got all of us. <laughs> all four of us on this podcast did not see it coming where that was the real relationship between them, mother and son. Because we never had any reason to question it when Benjamin ran into the club saying, get off of my sister or stay away from my sister. We didn't have any reason to be like, that's not your sister, that's your mom. So it was an excellent twist to show us that this character is going to be around for a while and she's going to affect the story. I feel like that's a promise now because she's had a scene on her own with her son. They have their own goal that they're trying to pursue, which is it's money related, especially Benjamin. Benjamin has a goal. He really thought that if he stole this ornament, he would get a lot of money for it when it's only $50 because it's not not real diamonds. So he struck out on this one. I hope he gets that hairpin back to Poppy. And I was also thinking about what Joanne said about that huge debt. And I wonder if Candy got into this debt in the first place because she was trying to provide for her son. And she's a single parent just trying to make ends meet. Maybe Benjamin had a surgery when he was younger. Or there's so many things that cost money when you have a kid. So it could be a, a plethora of things, but it would be interesting if it was that because it feels like Candy does care about her child. She shows up to give him money, pass money to him is how she phrases it. So I just, I wonder what we're going to see happen with them. They're going to get involved in whatever's the overall arc of the story. It feels like there are some key players here. So I'm excited about that. Chan Chan commented on this episode of the webtoon and said... I just realized that Tora didn't say anything to Jacob because he made fun of Poppy's weight. He remembered that and he was like, I don't like you, you dead. <laughs> it's not only that though, right? Back when they're on their sushi date and Poppy's talking about her weight and we talked about this on the podcast, how this was a very important moment because Poppy's body image was so relatable for so many of us. And she said that like Jacob will joke about it and Tora's like, oh, screw that guy, basically. And then later on, when Poppy had Tora over at her apartment and Jacob had that Greek god comment, which is in the podcast episode, Greek god, <laughs> Greek god Tora, I think is what I called it. Yeah. So Tora eventually finds out that Jacob was the one on the other side of that monitor watching everything because Poppy admits that she wasn't going to have him in her house unsupervised when she barely knows him. And he was like, yeah, he's dead. So Jacob has had it coming for a while. They've, Lily has been building it up that Jacob and Tora are not going to get along. I'm curious. It'd be kind of funny if they became like best friends along the way or cared about each other. But at the same time, because Jacob always jokes around with Poppy a lot, even to the point where he may or may not hurt her feelings. I don't know if Tora's going to like that guy. <laughs> okay, so that is it. 
My heartfelt thanks go out to Joanne, Patty, and Darla for sharing your opinions, sending me voice messages that I can include into this podcast episode. I'm so grateful. And let us head on to the recommendation segment. Each Tuesday, I like to share a recommendation from one of our podcast listeners. This week's recommendation comes from Sketcher Mama on Instagram. Here is what Sketcher Mama said. I wanted to suggest a Webtoon recommendation. I've recently started reading The Remarried Empress on Webtoon. It's based on a popular web novel with the same name. The plot had me hooked from the first episode. I won't spoil anything, but there is romance, drama, and a badass empress. If you love royal costumes, slow burn romance, and great storyline, you gotta check this out. I've gotten so invested that I looked into the Google translated novel. So I did check this webtoon out and I'm so obsessed with it. I'm so obsessed with the remarried empress on webtoon. I might have to be one of those people now who goes and looks up like, where's the web novel? Where's more content that I can find about the remarried empress? Because it is great. I love the royal costumes. I love the empress of the east. I love seeing a prince of the west. It's just really, really entertaining. There's a lot of love and romance, but also some characters that are very aggravating that will get on your nerves, but you know that justice will be served at some point, so you're going to stick with it. It's one of those webtoons, so it gets your emotions. You'll be in your feelings about it, which is always great. We want to feel things. Thank you so much, Get Your Mama, for this great recommendation. I suggest that you guys check out The Remarried Empress and hold on to your coins because (laughs) they will be floating away. All of a sudden, you will be like, I just fast-passed five episodes, and now I am broke. Just a fair warning for you. If you have a webtoon recommendation, that you'd like to share with me that I may possibly shout out on the podcast, reach out on Instagram, Twitter, DM me, email me. I am available and ready to hear your recommendation. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to Girl Wonder. We currently have no sponsors, so here is a shout out to a random listener instead. This week's shout out goes to Lil Angel SA on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast, Sahar. New episodes of Girl Wonder are uploaded on Tuesdays. I'm Joe Rochelle, and we'll talk again next week. Bye.